Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. We're back with John Greenwald Jr. His latest book is called Inside the Black Vault. We'll take calls with John next hour as well. John, in your career, what has been what you would believe to be the most amazing UFO case or piece of paper you've ever seen? It's a hard question to answer when uh, when I get asked that because because there's quite a few uh, when it comes to the government. For me, it's the overall way that the, the government handles UFOs. I think that that is the number one for me. So I know that doesn't answer your question, but it's something that needs to be pointed out because to me that is the most amazing part of this story on how easy it is to debunk that quote-unquote company line. If I started to have to pick uh, individual cases, one of my personal favorites, definitely at the top, is what got me personally interested in all of this, which is the 1976 Iran incident. Uh, Not a document that I claim to have discovered. It's been around for uh, quite a few years in the UFO community, but it was the first government document that I had read when I was 15 years old, uh, as a uh, you know first uh, kind of a first timer in the UFO field, and I came across that document, and I was absolutely hooked. And for those who aren't aware of of the incident, I mean that this is something you should definitely take a few minutes, read the four pages, and ask yourself: Is this a threat to national security? And I think that this one case uh, that happened in 1976 in Iran where one UFO turned into actually four different UFOs. Uh, one uh, looks like it, it maybe either landed on Earth or potentially hovered above, cast a, a large light on the ground, uh, made aggressive maneuvers to two separate F-4 Phantom jets, uh, was able to shut, shut down both of those F-4 Phantom jets seemingly at will. And uh, it's an extraordinary case. The most interesting thing about it, though, and of course I, I just very much put it in a nutshell for, for you, but the most amazing aspect to this case is that you can read 100% about it. And what I mean by that is it's not classified. Right. And that and, and what me, a great case. It is a great case. It is. It, it absolutely is. And I think that the most extraordinary piece of evidence, though, about it is the fact that the government did not classify it. And why that becomes important is that when you juxtapose that case and how amazing it is that in 1976, technology that far surpasses uh, even technology that we know about in 2019, where you can strategically shut down and then turn back on uh, a flying jet in the air, uh, that, that's, that's some amazing feats there. And, and it seemed to be intelligently controlled that it wasn't a glitch or it wasn't a coincidence that it happened on two separate F-4s, which automatically, or at least, you know, unless there's astronomical odds that you had two malfunctions, but pretty much rules out that it was a coincidence. And so you have this, in what appears to be an intelligently controlled craft, uh, showing this technology that we just don't have. Uh, and the fact that the government does not classify it, juxtapose that with the top secret documents that are blacked out from top to bottom, it makes you really wonder what's underneath that top secret uh, black that they don't want you to see. Absolutely. I mean, if, if one that you can read is so extraordinary, what the heck is so top secret? Isn't it amazing, too, how 
J. Allen Hynek, the late J. Allen Hynek, uh, in the History Channel has a show out now called Project Blue Book, where he was the consultant to Project Blue Book and was a skeptic about UFOs until later on in his career, he began to realize there's something to this. Then he became a staunch believer. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that is a very overlooked part of, of history that I hope the History Channel series will motivate people to learn a little bit more about him because out of everybody involved in Project Blue Book, in, in the 20-plus year study that they looked into UFOs and tried to figure out you know, what they were, and they mm-hmm. said they're not a threat to national security and so on, he goes in there to debunk. And then through the progression of the investigation, he realizes as a scientist that that debunking approach that he had was wrong. That he, as a scientist, looked at the evidence, evaluated the evidence, and saw enough that he left the Project Blue Book uh, era and went on to create his own UFO organization, took UFOs seriously, and essentially became this believer. That, to me, is extraordinary, because you have to look at a scientist who did take the time to sit down, evaluate the evidence, and see what it was all about. In this day and age, I don't want to talk bad about anybody uh, by name, obviously, but uh, in this day and age with scientists, those biggest names that are denouncing the UFO field of research are the ones that probably have not really taken a whole lot of time to look into it. Like Heineck did. Like Heineck did, right. So what we have to do is we have to get somebody in this day and age, like a Heineck, who has that background, to really sit down, not be the television skeptic that is, you know, notorious for coming on and saying, ah, no, that's, you know, a a blurry bug or, or a figment of somebody's imagination, you know, the standard debunking lines. But we have to look at documented historical fact that when a scientist does evaluate the evidence, they walk away saying, hey, look, there's something here, we really need to look at it. And I think the case that turned it around for him, and he, he's the one who called it swamp gas, it haunted him for years, but it was the Lonnie Zamora, the police officer from Socorro, New Mexico. That yeah. case, I think, turned Heineck around. I think it did, yeah. I think it, that is believed to be the one that, that, uh, that did turn him around. I produced a show for the History Channel. We recreated the Lonnie Zamora case and the craft that landed that he saw with the beings that came out. And, I, you know, I got a very in-depth look in that uh, just by creating that History Channel show. And even though I knew kind of about the case, we really dug in and looked at all the details. And it's extraordinary when you have a law enforcement officer who sees something like that, like a craft that comes down with bodies uh, that leaves physical impressions in the ground. Uh, that's important enough. But then when you have a scientist that come in and evaluates the evidence from a scientific standpoint and walks away, and that's a turning point. I think that that's a, a very important part of, of this whole era uh, with Project Blue Book. And, uh, and I deal with that uh, quite a bit in, in the beginning of the book, but one thing that I would point out to you uh, up front is that in a, from a scientific standpoint, that it, it, and, and I liken it to the cure for cancer, that if you do a thousand experiments for the cure for cancer and only one or two shows promise, 
you don't just abandon it and say, well, you know what? We didn't get it, so mm-hmm. forget it. We're never going to look again. That's not how that works. That, that Project Blue Book looked at over 12,000 cases. It's argued how many were unexplained, but the government story is that there were 701 that which remained is, unexplained. Which is like, all you need is one, actually. That's what, that's what my whole point is. From a scientific standpoint, it doesn't matter how big or small the percentage is. As long as there's some sliver of promise, you have to keep going at it. If they explained 100% across the board and it was simply a waste of time, sure, we'd probably be having a different discussion. But from a scientific standpoint, you just can't do that. Uh, and you can't dismiss the whole field just because the quote-unquote majority uh, were explained. And I think Heineck as a scientist was brought in to say, hey, look, these are all explainable. But with his background and his approach, he realized as the years went on, these aren't explainable. And he started pushing back uh, to, you know, at, the, at the government saying, we can't explain these. Uh, there was an extraordinary find. Uh, I've, I've gone through a lot of the Blue Book papers on an official level, but there was an extraordinary find by an investigator who I wrote about uh, by the name of Rob Mercer. And he came across documents from one of the Project Blue Book personnel officers who, after he uh, had left Blue Book because Blue Book was shutting down, he took a bunch of souvenirs with him uh, in the form of documents, reports, photographs, film reels, and books. And he took them home. They were all unclassified. There was nothing bad. He wasn't stealing them. Uh, They were going to be put in the trash. And long story short, I had uh, come across Rob's find and Rob himself a few years ago, and uh, saw the documents, and I've, I've put them all on the blackvault.com. I recommend Beautiful. everyone to go download them. But it showed an inside look at how they dealt with the UFO cases during Project Blue Book. And I'm here to tell you, it, it was a joke to some of these ranking officers who were going out there investigating uh, these, these sightings, even by uh, fellow military officers. One example was a ranking military officer was investigating two um, airmen sightings, and he called them imbeciles, uh, he called them jerks, in, in these official reports. And, uh, and needless to say, these were not in the quote-unquote official files. Uh, these were put in the trash, and this uh, Project Blue Book officer took them home with them, and they sat in the garage for decades. And Rob came across them. It's an extraordinary story. It was one of my favorite stories I think I've ever heard. Uh, but what I walked away from uh, seeing those documents was that it was the nail in the coffin. Project Blue Book was not in an investigation at all. It was an attempt to explain away UFOs mm-hmm. and essentially get the public to stop asking questions and to lose interest. Exactly. And, and John, the Lonnie Zamora case happened in 1964, five years before we landed on the moon. I originally thought maybe what he saw was a lunar lander and two astronauts, and they were testing the thing out in the New Mexico desert. Yeah, I've, I I've thought seen, that. Yeah, and and it's not a bad thing to think. I've I've heard that theory as a potential ex- explanation. The problem is, is that after all these years, you would think that if that were the case that NASA would come out or, or, or that documents would come out. Maybe NASA doesn't want to waste their time saying, well, look, the Zamora case is X, Y, Z. But the, the, something would present itself that they were testing something uh, in Socorro or around Socorro that Lonnie Zamora saw, and nothing has ever, that I know of anyway, has ever been produced to show that that's a logical right. explanation. Plus, I don't think astronauts would have scurried back into the craft and took, yeah. taken off when they saw him. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, the- and uh, so it's a good th- it's a good theory, but it's one that I I don't think uh, fits the bill. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.